Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. Today, I'm joined with child psychiatrist, Dr. Carl Fleischer. We are going to talk all about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, also known as ADHD. As a parent, how can we decipher when a child actually has ADHD? And if they do have ADHD, what is the best way to manage it? Are medications safe? What other treatments can parents consider? In this episode, we discuss all of this and more. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Jessica. I'd like to welcome back child psychiatrist, Dr. Carl Fleischer. Hi, Carl. Hi there. (laughs) All right. So I wanted to ask you some more questions about common childhood psychiatric conditions that you see. Um, A big one that comes up in my office is the question of attention difficulties and whether or not their child has ADHD. Um, so just to paint a picture for you, probably every week, at least there'll mm-hmm. be a parent who has a, I will say a boy, um, between the age of, let's say five and eight or five and nine, who's very active, doesn't sit still. Um, and they're worried that their child has ADHD. And my question for you is, um, what do you think about this? Like how much of this is normal childhood behavior and how much of this is a cause for concern where they should be seeking medical attention? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it, it, first thing I would have to say is it, it's not a determination that a parent would necessarily make on their own. Um, you'd like to be able to do that, uh, but it's tough. And so I really encourage parents to bring those questions to their pediatricians. And if it's not then evident in conversation with the pediatrician, then to bump it up to somebody like me, or at least a psychologist uh, who could also do other kinds of assessment, uh, because it's hard to tell. You know, the biggest line that we draw in the sand is whatever the difficulties are in terms of movement or attention, how much of a problem is it causing? If there are kids who are all over the place and they're tearing up you know, the playroom and then at school, they never stop moving. If it's second grade and they can still do their math and they can still keep up in reading and writing, then it may not be that big a deal. And there are kids even I diagnosed with ADHD and I say, look, this is ADHD. But if it's not causing that much of a problem, we don't have to do anything about it right now. We can wait and see and school gets more challenging every year. And so we may treat it later on. You know, in the MMWR, like there'll be medical journals where they'll talk about how um, prescriptions for ADHD have tripled in the last 20 years for kids. And mm-hmm. I think about how much of, you know, as a doctor, you want to make sure we're not, we're not over prescribing that we're treating it appropriately, like what, what is normal. And mm-hmm. so I do, I do worry that there's some over prescribing going on, but at the same time, I don't want to neglect kids that really truly do, you know, do need medication or would benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that like, do you find that there's a more, uh, you know, more of a push to put kids on medication sooner than they need? Um, I, I don't think sooner than they need. I mean, I think I'm on the opposite end of that where, you know, kids who could have benefited from medicine and maybe should have taken medicine in a certain sense don't see me until two years later. Um, so by the time they see me, it's yeah, definitely, this is a, you know, a problem that we can fix and this is the right tool to fix it with. But yeah, it's a dilemma. I mean, there is some overdiagnosis of ADHD nationally. We know that there's some underdiagnosis of ADHD nationally, and that's particularly true in kids, uh, from uh, disadvantaged backgrounds, either economically or, uh, in terms of, uh, ethnicity, race, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm, 
always cognizant of that and always trying to be careful to say, okay, am I, I don't want to miss something that is there and I don't want to overcall something that isn't there. And it's an imperfect science. We do the best we can, but you know, there are symptoms of ADHD that we look for. And in the book that defines ADHD, the DSM, there are nine symptoms of inattention. And in order to have ADHD, you have to have at least six of them. So there are plenty of kids who've got some of those symptoms, three, even four, maybe five. But the percent of kids who have six of those nine symptoms is actually pretty small, or mm-hmm. seven or eight or nine. It gets even smaller. And so when we actually count up the symptoms, if we get to six or seven or eight or nine, then we're, it's very likely we're identifying a kid who does need help, who would benefit from help. It's more than just, you know, being fidgety and not sitting still. There's a lot more not paying attention in class. There's a lot more to it. Yeah, there's a lot more to it. And uh, as I think it's sort of intuitive for parents, it's something that has to be present wherever the kid goes, wherever they bring their brain. We have to see that problem. So if it's only a problem in school, it may not be ADHD. It could be, but it may not be. If it's only a problem at home, then it may not be ADHD. So if kid can't control their mouth or their body, then we should see that problem everywhere if it is ADHD. That's a great point. I, I've always learned the first question to ask families where they're worried about their, their child's behavior is, is it present both at home and at school? Because if they act up at home, but they're angels at school, it's likely not ADHD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, likely not. It it's might be worth not. asking the question at some point, but wouldn't be your the first place you would look. The other thing I think about, people will talk about how, you know, if we think about caveman days and, and you know, back in the day, um, mm-hmm. children were not meant to, to sit all day paying attention in school mm-hmm. and that they're naturally designed to run around, be outside playing, mm-hmm. and that it's where, you know, we have high expectations of children. Do mm-hmm. you think that plays a role in any of the... I mean, it it may to some degree, but not enough of a role that you would take a kid who's really struggling and suffering and say, we're not going to treat that kid. Yeah. I mean, we don't live in the caveman days anymore. Uh, The world is different and the tools that kids need for success are different. Uh, And whether you're going to be a university professor or a carpenter or a CEO, you need to be able to at least get through high school. And uh, so if kids are struggling to the point where it looks like they might not get through high school, then we've got some sort of issue. Right. And do you find that the medications are beneficial, that they make a difference? Yeah, especially with ADHD, they make a huge difference. I tell parents, if there's got to be some illness in your kid's brain, thank goodness it's ADHD because the treatments are so good. They've been around for decades and decades, so we know exactly how safe they are, which is very safe. And they work. And not only do they work, but you can start and stop them whenever you want. And so parents have total control over how much treatment their kid gets. I think um, a lot of parents worry about uh, withdrawal or will their kids be affected if they stop abruptly. So Mm -hmm. I think it's great that you mentioned that, that they can start and stop them. Yeah. And parents also ask me about treatments other than uh, medicine or, or treatments other than uh, kind of Ritalin, Adderall, stimulant treatments. And we do have treatments like that nowadays. There are some that are brand new. Uh, one that was actually approved last year during COVID by the FDA. But there are treatments that are not medicine now. And so sometimes parents are really interested in exploring those. 
uh, and as they get covered more by insurance, then I hope parents will. Uh, there's one that's an electrical stimulation. It's a tiny amount of electricity. Uh, stimulates the brain from the outside through the nerves in the forehead. Um, kids wear it overnight. And so while they're sleeping, they get the treatment, basically, and then take it off and go through their day. Uh, so that has shown actually a fair amount of effectiveness. Um, and then the one that was approved during COVID is, of course, a video game. So people have thought for a long time, well, you know, computers are something that can help you practice and do something over and over and over again. So maybe that could help with attention. And there's a company on the East Coast that finally seems to have developed something that at least makes a measurable difference in a laboratory on attention. And so they market this video game called Endeavor. Uh, I get no reimbursement or any of any kind by saying that, but um, uh, you like play for 20 minutes a day for like four or five weeks. And at the end of that time, uh, the data seem to show that kids are better at paying attention than any other video game. Can parents do that from their own home? No, it has to be prescribed. It is a prescription treatment. That's why it had to be approved by the FDA uh, because it, it's designed for kids who do have ADHD. So somebody has to be diagnosed by a psychiatrist or a psychologist with ADHD, uh, and then a psychiatrist would have to prescribe it, but then they could actually do the treatment. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating to me because I've always learned that children that do have ADHD, when they watch video games, it stimulates their frontal cortex or it stimulates mm -hmm. a part of their brain that actually uh, makes them behave while they're playing the video game or watching TV. But then when that, when that is uh, stopped, uh, their mm -hmm. ADHD symptoms worsen. So it's fascinating that they've created something, you know, created a video game that may make ADHD symptoms yeah. better. Yeah, for some parents, I say that and they think, God, my worst nightmare, a video game to dream <laughs> an illness. But, uh, you know, again, this is it's designed for 20 minutes a day. So the difficulties that parents have with kids playing video games, it's usually way after 20 minutes a day. Wow. That's mm -hmm. so interesting. Mm hmm. Yeah. What about um, supplements? Like a lot of parents will try their kids on, you know, keto diets or mm -hmm. low carbohydrate diets, or they'll try to cut out sugar. I've heard all sorts of things, fish diets. Um, have I, you found any data that supports changing diet to be helpful for ADHD symptoms? I, I wish I could say yes, but I, it's you know, something that is fascinating and sort of um, confusing in a way because we can see that diet impacts people in various ways, some of them large, some small. So you would think there would be some dietary changes that we could make that would have an effect on ADHD or uh, any mental health issue. And so far, people have not found anything that's really consistent and reliable where I could recommend it to the next hundred kids with this problem or that problem. So parents try a lot of stuff and I'm all for trying things. Uh, but there's so many factors that influence the brain that uh, it may just be it's not a powerful enough factor. What about sugar? Everybody says, don't give my kids sugar. They're going to mm -hmm. you know, act crazy. Yeah. Can you, no, can you and, talk and about and that? They, do. they get riled up by sugar. Um, but sugar is not the cause of the illness. And so that's where we just want to make the distinction and say, yeah, for ADHD or anything else, if kids have illness, Sugar might not be good for them, just like it's not good for kids without it, but it's not going to cause the illness and it, taking away sugar is not going to treat the illness, unfortunately. What you're saying or what I'm hearing overall is for ADHD, 
um, kids that truly have ADHD, they will benefit from treatment such as stimulant <clears throat> medications um, and possibly some of these newer modalities like video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, but again, that's, you know, the last time that we turn over. So um, the non-medicine things that I recommend before that sort of video games aside, um, at home, when parenting is hard enough as it is, <laughs> you and I both know that. So parenting kids with ADHD statistically is harder than parenting kids without ADHD. So there's extra conflict at home. And so there are techniques and strategies parents can learn, can be taught that help manage kids with ADHD. It doesn't make the symptoms go away, but it really does improve the overall climate situation at home. So I always recommend that whether kids will ever take medicine or not. Uh, and then at school, likewise, whether kids take medicine or not, there are supports that kids deserve to level the playing field at school. And public school districts are mandated by law to provide those public schools. Private schools are not mandated, but they're usually very willing to do that. So kids should get those supports at school, uh, at least, especially if they're not going to get medicine. And when you talk about supports at school, I'm just, what sort of supports would be helpful? I would, I would guess it would be activities to get their energy out or to get their wiggles out. Or, yeah, so for elementary school age kids, it's yeah finding ways for them to have outlets for their energy. Uh, and then uh, in terms of the academic side of things, making sure that the instruction is designed in such a way to take it into account that kids are going to have a harder time paying attention. So, uh, you know, repeating things in different ways. So writing something down and then also saying it or saying it and then showing it chunking things, so putting things into little groups, making sure the kids write down their assignments, that sort of stuff. Usually all that falls under what we call in public school a 504 plan, where 504 is the section of federal law that details those accommodations. Sometimes kids will have one step down from that, a little bit less support, called an SST or student study team. Um, But the standard generally for kids with ADHD, at least, is a 504 plan at school. Okay. Now, what about on the weekends? Do you think, um, I know there's been a lot of debate about whether or not kids should take drug holidays over the weekend and not take their stimulant medications versus uh, the benefit of taking medications through the weekend. Do you have a perspective on this? Yeah, I I would say my perspective is let's try to make sure that if the illness is really causing significant symptoms that we treat them. But if it's problems that the family can manage and get by with, then no, we don't have to. So kids who take stimulant medicines do not have to take medicine on the weekends. There are some kids who, if they did not take medicine on the weekends, they'd be getting in trouble six times a day, or they'd be getting kicked off of their baseball team or their soccer team. I mean, really significant stuff. And so there's some kids who, even to be able to play, they need some guardrails put up. They need some limitations, and the medicine helps them provide that to themselves rather than getting in trouble. Can you talk to parents about what it means for their kids if they are placed on medications in terms of their child's future? Do you think when kids are on medications, they're looking at a, a lifetime of being on medications, a short term? What Maybe paint a picture for what it, what it means for the family. Yeah. So I, for me, when I talk to parents, say, you know, medicine is always just one step at a time. Most of what I do is ultimately short-term treatment, short-term in the sense of it might be a year, maybe two years, but there's going to be a beginning and a middle and an end. 
uh, with ADHD, symptoms can last throughout childhood. Uh, they may get better, but for most kids, when they get better is in their 20s as the brain actually finishes developing. Um, you know, we think of people in their mid-20s as adults, but their brains aren't cooked yet. So that's a time where we see many more young adults uh, stop taking medicine compared to 17 or 15 or 12. Kids with ADHD may be on medicine for a number of years, but fortunately, that medicine is extremely safe, and they can take breaks from it on weekends, as we talked about. If it's stimulant medicine, they can take breaks over the summer even, so they can take a lot of different breaks from it, uh, or even for a whole school year, if that's just not a school year where we actually need to treat the symptoms, even though they're there. And can you speak also to the, um, the diff- you know, there's the hyperactive type of ADHD. What about the um, the type of child that has uh, attentional difficulties where um, they're not really hyperactive. They're, they're more, um, they have trouble focusing, not paying attention. I mentioned this because I feel like a lot of these kids can get missed. Um, mm-hmm. Any, yeah. anything parents should look out for, or, or can you speak, to, speak on this, whether or not these kids also benefit from treatment? They definitely benefit from treatment. And uh, we think about them as types, but in terms of treatment response, they're one and the same thing. They, they both do really well with treatment when we're talking about medicine. Uh, so parents will say like, oh yeah, my kid doesn't have ADHD, they have ADD. Turns out they change the name. So they're the same thing, whether you have the H or not. Uh, but yeah, those kids we know from research can get missed. Uh, girls with ADHD who are not hyperactive can get missed because they tend to be more obedient and more attentive anyways. And uh, so there, I really rely more on parents to be eagle-eyed and and share their concerns about their kids or pediatricians or teachers. Um, And so kids who uh, are really smart, then they may not be struggling in school, but parents might see that homework is just taking way longer than it really should compared to other kids they know, other kids they have. Uh, And if kids are struggling in school, then certainly it's easier to identify Uh, But the trickiest is usually smart kids with ADHD because they kind of glide through on being smart until suddenly they hit a wall. Now, if a child is placed on a medication, are there any side effects that parents should be looking out for or considering? Yeah, certainly there can be side effects. You know, this is something that certainly you know, any parent would discuss with the psychiatrist before they actually put the kid on medicine. Um, and the main thing that we end up kind of troubleshooting, I would say, is uh, for ADHD is appetite suppression. So stimulant medicines lower appetite, just like caffeine does. So when adults drink coffee, it lowers appetite a little bit. That effect can be very strong for some kids. And then same medicine, different kid could be a very mild effect. There's a small percentage of kids who their appetite's never affected by it. But basically every kid, almost every kid, will have at least some appetite loss from the medicine. And so we keep an eye on their weight and make sure they're eating enough. Sometimes we have to find ways to get extra sticks of butter into them. Um, But uh, that's the main thing that ends up uh, that ends up needing adjustment of any kind. I'll usually tell parents to make sure they get a good hearty breakfast in first before the medication. So at least we know mm-hmm. they got some food in their, in their tummies before the day. For begins. sure. Yeah. I'm not sure how you'll answer this question, but when I see kids that come in, there's so many choices of stimulants to begin with, you know, there's Focalin mm-hmm. and Vyvanse, 
Ritalin, Adderall. Do you have a favorite or, or do you feel like any of these really make a difference? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> I sort of have a favorite, but I always put the caveat out there for parents, not for any good reason and definitely not because I make money money off of it. Right. Um, but uh, there's a, a variant, a cousin of, uh, of Ritalin or methylphenidate called dexmethylphenidate. The brand name for that is Focalin. So that's often the one I start with uh, because for me, seeing 100 kids with ADHD every week, I can say Focalin, 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 Focalin. And it's just easy to apply across the board <clears throat> because kids who don't swallow pills can still take it. There's a capsule you can open up, swallow the beads. Kids who do swallow pills, fine. And then uh, it's relatively easy to make small adjustments in the dose. <clears throat> Slightly easier maybe than Concerta, uh, which is the long-acting form of Ritalin. So I usually start there, but, you know, again, I tell parents, you know, your insurance company decides what they want to pay for and what they don't. And so if they don't want to pay for it, it's not a better medicine. It's just a little convenient. So whichever one the insurance company will pay for first is going to be perfectly adequate. I really appreciate how you're explaining this because I think for anyone listening I, I meet so many parents that are concerned to start their children on medication because I think they're just worried about, I don't know, the, the you know, having their child be different or, or have to have to leave school to take a medication or be that child that's on a medication. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really helpful to hear you say how, you know, how, how really how, how much it can help children. Cause I think that's overall the most important to make them, you know, do well in school and be their, be their best self and, and, and grow to be their most confident adult. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we get caught up in stigma because we just are wired to think about brain injuries differently than body injuries. If a kid shows up to school in a cast, nobody would ever use the word stigma. So for kids who have a brain illness or brain injury, we I want to be able to expect the same sympathy. We don't always get it, but it's really not that different. So there are some injuries in the brain illnesses that we treat with medicine that can get better and we move on but it doesn't have to be any different than kids who wear glasses or use crutches or take insulin for diabetes. And do you find most kids that get started on a medication for ADHD that they do better? Yeah, they, they generally do better. And in what I do, we're only going to use medicine if it's demonstrably better. Sometimes we try medicines and they're not that great. And I say, I don't want your kid taking medicine if it's not that great. You're so reasonable. <laughs> You're so, uh, what about the, the, um, stereotype of the doctor that pushes medications? That's not you. I, it's not me. You know, stereotypes, uh, you know, get built on things that may be true at some point somewhere. So I, there may be our psychiatrists out there who, I, you know, maybe I think talk less about it. They may think about it just as carefully, but maybe don't explain it as much. And so it can seem like it's just sort of this automatic, let me write a prescription for you. Right. It's almost it, right. It can be, can be easier in some ways, I'm sure for some physicians mm -hmm. and families to think like that, but mm -hmm. you're not doing anybody a service if they don't really need it. No. So for me, you know, parents are always in charge. My job is to explain what's going on and explain what the options are and explain that, you know, we're not telling a kid that something's wrong with them. When we treat an illness, we're saying there's an illness and we have treatments and let's fix it. That's great. Thank you so much, Dr. Carl Fleischer, for joining me on this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you would share it and leave a five-star review. 
Your feedback is what helps this podcast grow.